In the sixth grade, I played football in Houston, which was for a league that was kind of the equivalent of Pop Warner. I played for the Voss West Rams, and we were a juggernaut of power and precision. It was sixth grade perfection on parade. It was really and truly impressive. Now, I have to tell you, in the interest of full disclosure, I was not necessarily a monster part of this juggernaut, although I was a little bit of a juggernaut unto myself. I was just coming off of a broken leg in the summer, and so I was what the coaches referred to as husky that season. Um, but our team was unbelievable, and we had a great group of dads who were coaching us, one of whom made an indelible impression on my life to this day. I, I go back to one particular moment in particular. This coach's name was a guy that may be familiar to some of you, especially if you hail from College Station at any point in your life. Okay, look. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I, love, I love the loyalty of, of the Ags. But Charlie Milstead is a Texas A&M football legend. He played all the way back when Bear Bryant was coaching the Aggies. And I will tell you, Mr. Milstead is a committed Christ follower and a man of great faith and just an incredible individual. But when I tell you he was intense on a football field, even coaching sixth grade boys, I mean, he was intense on a football field. And I'll never forget one day in particular, his son, Lyle, and I were the same age, and we actually still are, interestingly enough, but um, we were the same age, and we were practicing one day extra points, and I don't even remember what the circumstances were, but Lyle missed his assignment, and his dad was standing off to the side with his hat down pulled low over his eyes like he always did, and Lyle missed the assignment, and Mr. Milstead erupted off of the sidelines and came Boys, go, Lyle! I mean, eyes bugging out of his head, threw his hat down on the ground and uttered his sixth grade approved profanity word. Vomit! That's just vomit, Lyle! Vomit, 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 vomit! Lyle, what were you thinking? Now, Lyle had grown up around his dad, like a lot of sons do, and he knew that his dad was on a football field, and he didn't take it personally, but he was trying to explain, and I'll never forget, Lyle said, Dad, I just thought that, he, that was as far as he got with his explanation, and his dad, eyes bugging out of his head, he goes, you thought, you thought, you thought, boys, don't think, it weakens the team. Can I tell you that? Can I tell you how many times my children have heard, don't think it weakens the team? My mom used to tell my brothers and me that after I got home from practice that day. I love that story because of what Mr. Milstead was trying to communicate to a bunch of sixth grade guys playing football was absolutely true. What he was trying to communicate to us in football terms was that on a football field, by the time you think about it, it's too late. You need to be able to react. Because you have practiced, because of the way that you've practiced and what you've practiced, you're so familiar with the game plan and what your opponent might do that you just react. Now, I didn't have any idea at the time, but I have since discovered that Mr. Mr. Milstead's wisdom in football is equally valid wisdom in faith. Because what he was really trying to communicate was not that Practice makes perfect, because practice does not make perfect. What he was telling us was, practice makes 
permanent. Practice makes permanent. How you practice, what you practice, that becomes then how you play the game. And that is true in football as in life. Practice. We're talking about practice, man. Practice. But let's be honest with each other. Practice is hard. Practice is messy. Practice is a grind. But it's in practice that wins are generated. That's where winning begins. It's in practice that teams bond together and coalesce. It's in practice that teams are forged and fused together to become a fighting unit, one in heart and mind, clear eyes, full hearts, cannot lose. That's where that happens. Game time's easy. Game's fun, man. Game is great. You know, you get the clean uniforms. Everybody walks out there singing the Star Spangled Banner. You know, cheerleaders and fans and lights are on, but it's in practice. That is where you and I find ourselves right now as a church family. You know, the NFL calls a lot of their practices OTAs. OTAs in the NFL in football terms are just organized team activities. They used to be referred to as optional team activities, which kind of became a running joke in the NFL because if you opted not to go to the team activity, you didn't play. So they just started calling them organized team activities because it's in organized team activities that teams prepare for the season ahead or they prepare for the next game. Organized team activities. What you and I are doing in this room right now is an organized team activity. This is not the game. This is not the Christian faith as it stands. Game time for followers of Christ is every single day. Game time is every day. What we do when we gather together is an OTA. It's an organized team activity, and it's in this organized team activity that we prepare, that we study, that we are equipped, that we are reminded of our vision and our values as a team, and we're called to move forward. Last week, we started this series, Game Plan, to get at the reality of what Jesus had in mind when he ordained the church, the church at large, capital C, that all of the church is called to follow Christ. And we went to the Great Commission, and we saw how Jesus commissioned those 11 disciples there before he returned to heaven, who were about to become 12 again once they found a replacement for Judas. But the reality is you and I, 2,000 years later, are the direct descendants of those fishermen and tax collectors and all of those who were gathered with Jesus on that hillside. And the fact is, God raises up different churches for different purposes. And because God does it, it's a good thing. And it's a good thing because it's a God thing. And so we understand that as a church, we have a unique identity. We have a unique calling as a church to grow the community one life at a time. But it's imperative that we understand what that means and what that looks like. And so today in the time that we've got left here in this service, I want to make sure that we're on the same page when we understand what is at stake and what's going on as we gather, when we come together. And to do this, I want to kind of reframe the idea of church. You would be shocked, I would say even shocked and chagrined, to find out the number of people who think, that was a little Steinfeld reference for those of you scoring at home, I think to find out how many people really and truly believe that church is something you attend. 
They really believe that. They think going to church is what the Christian thing is all about instead of what it's actually all about, which is being the church. You see, attending the church matters. This is, this is again, our OTA, but it's when we get outside of these walls, when we're living it out on the rugged plains of reality, day in and day out. That's when we find out how effective our OTAs really have been. That's where we really and truly, as followers of Christ, keep score on ourselves. That's our game film. When we see how we handle ourselves, how we behave, how do we talk to people in the marketplace? Another thing, how do we talk to people in our homes? Ooh, now he's gone from preaching to meddling. <laughs> but that's the reality of it. That, that's, that's the fact, Jack, Jackie. The reality is how we live our lives reveals the depth, the maturity, the power, and the strength of our faith. And, and so church is not just something to attend, although that's a, a step along the way, and it's an important thing. It is actually something that we are. It is what we do. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, specifically verses 24 and 25. Hebrews is over kind of towards the end of the, Hebrews is over kind of towards the end of the New Testament. And 1024 is actually a foundational verse for who we are as a church family. It is the basis of spur leadership that Alex referenced in the offertory set up this morning. It's, it's the basis for the spur leadership academy for high school students. It says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So it's not just being a nice person. It's what you do actually matters. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now you'll notice that the word day there is capitalized the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, is talking about the day when Jesus returns. And we have no idea when that will be. The author of Hebrews surely thought that it would be long before now. But you and I don't know when that will be. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said he didn't know. It was only for the Father to know, and he had not yet told the Son when Jesus would come back to earth to wrap everything up and put a bow on the history of human existence. But the author of Hebrews is saying, we've got to understand. We, we've got a sense of urgency. Jesus said he will return as a thief in the night. I'm curious, how many of you have ever been robbed in your home? Can I, let me just see a show. We got robbed when I was in high school. It's a horrible feeling. Here's what's interesting about the, the thief that came into our home in the middle of the night and took stuff. He did not make an appointment. Really weird. He just, he just showed up, took stuff, and left. Jesus is going to just show up, take us, and leave. That's, that's what's going to happen. We don't know when that's going to be. So this idea that I've got plenty of time, we can do whatever. No, no, no. In the economy of God's timing, there is a monster sense of urgency about the Christian faith. We're not here just kind of taking our own sweet time. We don't know. He could come back today before the Cowboys kick off at 7 o'clock tonight. 
which may be an act of mercy. But I'm just saying it could happen. So as the church, we've got to take what we do very seriously. Our OTAs matter because of this sense of urgency. Now, there may be some here today who are not yet a part of the church, and you're just kind of kicking the tires. And have you ever heard somebody, you might be one, or you may have heard somebody say before, I'm just not really into organized religion. I'm just not into organized religion. And it might surprise you that the pastor, I, I don't get upset at that. I'm not offended or, or whatever. As a matter of fact, I actually get it. I understand where that comes from. I mean, because let's be honest. The church's history down through the centuries, we've had some off seasons. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we've had some years when we did not handle our business very, very well. We've done a lot of things great. We've helped a lot of people along the way, but there have been some other times. And so I understand why people say that. But the fact of the matter is, to be a part of organized religion is just to be a part of the body of Christ. And I also have noticed this, not always, but a lot of times... I've seen people, and I've even kind of thought this to myself back down the road. I've noticed sometimes people say that as a smokescreen. People say, oh, I'm not a part of organized religion. What they're really saying is, I'm going to keep all accountability at arm's length so I can continue to do whatever I feel like doing. That, that's, that happens sometimes. So you just got to be careful about the whole organized religion thing. But no matter where you fall on the spiritual spectrum, in terms of a relationship with God, these OTAs, these organized team activities, are designed to help everyone just take the next step. Wherever you are, we've all got another step to take. Not one of us in this room or even watching online has arrived spiritually. And so what I want to do is just list for you the steps that we as a church take in growing in relationship with God. If you will, take out the program that you got when you came in this morning. I want to ask you, just number down the side of that notes page there, one through five. Just kind of spread it out evenly. If you're kind of, you know, uh, an accountant type and you like symmetry and balance, just put three in the middle and then evenly space out the one and the two and the four and the five. That'll kind of help. But there are five things, five kind of OTAs that, that we do. And, and for those of you who are checking out the Christian faith in this church, this is not the only way to do church. This is just the way we do it. This is what God has called us to as Lake Hills Church. Number one, our OTA starts with worship. Weekend worship is our primary OTA. It's not the only one, but I want you to look around the room. This matters. This is a priority. And I want to also ask you a question. As you think about weekend worship, and, and this, is, this, is an, this is an interesting dynamic. We did this in the first service. How many of you, if you don't mind, just raise your hand if you had a tough week this past week. Just raise your hand if you had a tough week, okay? Doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Just circumstances conspired. You had a tough week. Keep your hands up. If you will, keep your hands up. Now, I want everybody, look around the room. Look at how many hands are up right now. Isn't it funny? We think everybody else comes to church and they've got it all figured out. But we're the only ones. But isn't that encouraging? We don't celebrate the fact that everybody had a tough week. <laughs> but there's something slightly encouraging about this to know, I'm not the only one. Or, or there are other people who are, who are wrestling with this as well. And so this weekend worship actually matters. Now, for some people, 
attending weekend worship is a monster step forward in their faith journey. Some of you are here maybe for the first time ever, and you jumped and cleared so many hurdles, maybe from your past or maybe from your expectations and presuppositions, just to walk in the room. That's a huge, huge deal. But there are others of you here, others of us here, who we're not just attending, we actually participate in the worship. I mean, when the band is up here, you sing and you let it fly and you can't carry a tune in a bucket. But man, you, you're, you're worshiping, you're participating, you're not just attending, you're not just taking it all in, you're actually participating in worship. Then there's another level from attenders and participators to people who actually come to church on time. You get the kids situated. You know how we know a visitor at Lake Hills Church? Either they have a tie on or they're on time. Those are visitors at Lake Hills Church. I tease because I care. But for you to be in the auditorium, ready to participate, maybe even praying before the service actually begins as you look around, as you talk to people, as you drink some coffee or whatever. But you want to be here, so you're really and truly participating. So you get to your seat, and you're like, I'm, I'm going to engage. I'm, I'm going to actually participate and, and worship God in spirit and in truth because there's something about when, when we sing together and we lift up the name of Jesus. I had an opportunity recently to attend a concert I got to go see Jerry Jeff Walker, and I hadn't seen Jerry Jeff in years. I was doing some sermon research. So, and it was awesome. I mean, it was awesome. The whole room was just filled up against the wall, red, I mean, just bouncing off the rafters. But there's something that happens a little bit deeper than redneck mother when we gather in here on the weekends. When, when we sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, come invade this place. Your presence, God, is what our hearts long for. When, when we get outside of ourselves and we're no longer worried about being Austin cool and we, we sing with everything that we've got, good, bad, or ugly, but we let it fly. And we worship together. I, th- I think that's kind of what the psalmist was talking about in Psalm 122. I-, I love this paraphrase in the message version of Scripture. It says, when they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. And now we're here. Oh, Jerusalem, inside Jerusalem's walls. See, Jerusalem isn't just a city. Jerusalem was the epicenter of Israel's worship of God. And so people would make pilgrimages and journeys that took days to get to worship in Jerusalem. And when they'd get there, and, and they'd, see the, they'd see the walls of Jerusalem, and they'd see the temple, and they, they, had, they had worked hard to get there. They had set aside a lot of time and a lot of priorities. They had set aside resources financially to worship And so when they got there and they saw Jerusalem and they saw the temple, it wasn't just something to attend. It wasn't just something that worked out if there was enough time in the weekend or if we didn't get a better offer. But when they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leapt for joy. They got fired up. It's it's like when when you're coming back into Austin on vacation, from vacation. You know, we, uh, we, we take long road trips a lot of times as a family. And a lot of times we're coming in from the east. 
You know, you, you get through the, the desert of Houston, and, and then you turn and you come toward Austin, and you, you go through Columbus and LaGrange and Smithville and Bastrop, and you're coming over, and you finally crest that one hill, and all of a sudden you see there shining like a city on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden, the University of Texas Tower. And I'm teasing, but when I see that tower, when I come over the hill, I'm like, I'm home. This is, this is, this is where I belong. This is where my family has roots. I think that's what the psalmist is talking about when it says, oh, Jerusalem, we're, we're, we're here to worship. We're here with each other. We're, we're gathering together. And that, that matters. That, that's a priority. And, it's, and so we're going to set aside the time. We're, we're going to be on time. And we're going we're to really and truly participate. It's a big deal. The second OTA, organized team activity, is membership. It's one thing to attend and maybe even to participate, but to say, you know what? We're in. We're committed to being a member an active participant in the life of the church. Membership. Baptism. We're, matter of fact, next weekend, as you heard earlier, we're offering a membership class to invite anybody and everybody who has thought about saying, you know what, I want to, be, I want to have a church home. I don't want to just shop and hop and bop around. I want to have a church home. And if, you, if you're praying about it or thinking about it, Man, we'd love to have you next weekend. Or maybe baptism. Baptism is a symbol of membership in the church, capital C, but also the local church. So once a person comes to faith in Christ, biblically they're baptized as a statement of that faith. Now if you were baptized as an infant, as a small child, that's cool, but that was a choice your parents made for you. I don't care how gifted and talented you were at eight days old or whatever it might have been for you. That wasn't your choice. But baptism, biblically, is a choice that we have to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and say, I'm all in. We're going to do that next weekend, too, in our service. So if you, if you are thinking about taking that next step, that next progression, maybe that's membership. Maybe that's really and truly saying, this is my church home. Now, if you're not yet a Christ follower, that's not necessarily for you. That's maybe advanced study. But if you are a follower of Christ... You need to have a church home. There's this idea that we're going to shop and I like the music over there and the preaching from that guy who, you know, didn't go to UT or, or whatever. That is completely unbiblical. It doesn't work. I, I know it sounds tremendously open, blah, blah, blah. But here's the deal. We need each other. We need that commitment from one another. We all do. It's in that commitment that we find the safety in numbers. Do you remember how many hands were raised when I asked you if you'd had a hard week? That, that's a lot of us, and that's just this week. The rest of us buckle up. It's probably coming up. But we need each other because the fact is we are marked. We have a target on our back. This is what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5. The Bible tells us, stay alert. Tell your neighbor right now, passion, enthusiasm. Hey, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I know many of you 
may be familiar with that passage. You may not be, but, but you're thinking right now, boy, that, that is just so true. That, that's, you know, you, you just preach that word, boy, that you go. Amen. Yes. The devil's a roaring lion. That's right. I think it's better if instead of talking about this, I, I could just very briefly, very, very briefly show you what the Bible's talking about right here. Check this out. Now 18 months old, the brothers pick up the subtleties of stalking buffalo by watching the lionesses. They control the pace of the hunt. Understand that measured calm must balance the energy of an ambush. They hang back on purpose. Study the herd for weak spots. Perfect. A straggler. And he's compromised. They move into attack positions. seconds they wrestle him down perfect a straggler and he's compromised what you didn't see in that video is that that buffalo was actually late to worship <laughs> a tease I'm kidding <laughs> But there's a lot of truth in that. Stragglers are compromised. If you're, if you're behind the herd, you're on your own, Jack. You're, you're, you're vulnerable out in the open. But when you are bound together in the body of Christ, you are protected in numbers. If you've ever been a hunter, you know that, that a herd of animals, whether it's, it's white-tailed deer or turkeys, you've got to be extra, extra skilled because there's so many eyeballs looking at any point they can bust you like that you and i can be each other's eyeballs and warning system from the lion who is roaring and prowling about looking for someone to devour you see when you stay connected to the church you're protected can i tell you how many families i know divorces were averted because they were connected into the church and people said, no, 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 come back here. Don't check this out. Don't hit the eject button. Let us help you. Let us provide some counseling. Let us help you as just friends. This is real. And so we need each other. But you and I live in a connection-phobic, connection-hostile culture. It's funny because if you look online or read anything at all, there's a lot of talk about community and connecting and doing life together. But you and I both know that the eject button is just inches away from our trigger finger at any 
point in time. And it's usually that point in time when we need most, most desperately to lean into community, to lean into our connection, to lean into our accountability, that a lot of times we try to stiff arm it. And we do that at our own peril. We need each other. We need to lean into that. Isolation is dangerous. It's dangerous. We can watch the Smithsonian Channel and go, oh, buffalo should have stayed in the herd. And yet... A lot of times we leave our herd, we leave our protection at the exact moment we so desperately need it. So, worship. There, there's that necessity of, of being a member of a local church, that membership. The third OTA for a church is groups. Maybe it's a Bible study group or a life group. Maybe it's a, a men's Bible study or maybe it's a serving ministry you know, our parking lot crew, I thought this morning when I woke up and the mercury had plummeted into the 60s, I thought, man, the parking lot crew ought to be recruiting today. Everybody wants to be outside today. But it's in those groups that you really get to know each other. You really, you really start to spend time together and you find that there are people that you actually enjoy and you find that, you know what, there are a lot of people who raise their hands about a hard week. And so... If you're one of them or you're not one of them, you can come alongside each other and help. A fourth OTA, an organized team activity, is the tithe. The tithe. When, when we pass that bucket or when you text in your tithe, you're participating in an organized team activity that's worship. And it's, it's fuel for the ministries of the church. And, and as a member of the church, we do that together. That's an organized team activity. If you're not a Christ follower, don't worry about it. That's, that's advanced study again. But if you are a Christ follower, the tithe is an opportunity to worship God and to partner with your other teammates. Because remember, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. So what you practice and how you practice really and truly matters. And then the fifth OTA is actually leading other people, leading other people, where you kind of step up and go, you know what, I've been doing this a while. I'm going to step outside of myself, and I'm going to, I'm going to help coach somebody else. I'm going to mentor another group, or maybe somebody younger. Maybe it's in our children's ministry. You don't have to have a seminary degree to be great with kids. You have to have a background check, but you don't have to have a seminary degree. Now, I want you to do me a favor. Take your pen and just run a dotted line between number four and number five. Just run a dotted line underneath number four and number five. Then I want you to put an arrow above the dotted line and another arrow below the dotted line. Everything from one through four is basic. Those are basic elementary school growth steps. That, that's, you, you, that just takes want to. A lot of y'all know I, I played basketball when I was in high school, and I far and away was not the fastest guy on the team. I jumped highest, but I wasn't the fastest. Not really. But my coach told me something when I was a junior in high school. He said he told our team something that I latched on to. He said, defense is only about desire. 
If you want to play defense, you can play defense. It, has, it didn't take any talent at all. I went, that's for me. One, two, three, and four. Don't take any talent at all. It only takes a willing heart. That's it. Now, number five, that's advanced. When you talk about leading other people, when you talk about leading within a specific church family, that's advanced. That, that takes a little bit more training and preparation and calling out and mentoring of yourself. But one through four are basic. As we said last week, we want to be a church that celebrates life change. A church that, that celebrates when people are taking those steps, wherever they may be. And so I want to just share with you very briefly one family's story of taking steps. Check this out. My name is Kyle Watts, and this is my wife, Jill, and we've been married for five and a half years. I work for Cisco Systems in our worldwide sales organization, so travel quite a bit, which can be daunting personally and, and with a family. I'm Jill, and I'm a group fitness instructor for Ignite Your Life Now. It's a women's inspirational fitness community, and I'm a mom of three, two daughters and a stepson, which keeps me really busy. We met through a mutual friend of ours, uh, set us up on a blind date, and we've been together ever since. On our blind date, we had realized that we actually went to the same church. I think at the time, I was going to the downtown services, and, and Jill was going to West Campus, so we had never actually seen each other at church. So Jill and I started going to church together in the fall that we had met, and I think one of the, my best sort of memories about that time was when I was on a, a fishing trip um, down at the coast, and, and Jill had called me and told me that she had raised her hand um, during the invitation, that she had you know, committed her life to Christ, and it was such an incredible moment for her, but, but you know, that's when I really knew that you know, she was important in my life and that you know, that was something I was so proud of her being able to do and just to be part of that, um, you know, to, be, to get that phone call from her was just an amazing experience for me. So two weeks before we were married, we made the decision to get baptized as a family. And I thought that was a, just an important step for us, something big for us all to do together. And my two daughters were old enough at that time to make the decision that that's what they wanted as well. So I've been going to Lake Hills Church for a long time and, and really just pulling you know, from the church, not really giving back to the church. And you know, it wasn't until I realized that in order to take my faith to the next step, I really needed to start giving back. And that started with membership. It drove my desire to profess my faith through baptism. Um, and, and being able to you know, do that with my family and with Braden in the front row watching us just made it that much more special. A friend of mine who's a member at Lake Hills Church invited me to serve in Fearless Mom. And so I signed up and did it and have done that the past two years and really enjoyed it. Just knowing that letting those other young moms have that time to connect and you know have that support to go through those struggles and joys of parenthood and knowing that somebody's taking care of their kids. And then that led me to begin serving on Sundays 
So that has given an opportunity for my girls to serve with me in, in the hallway. It's really been nice to see that and they enjoy it. So I serve on the tech team running lights for the worship services on Sunday and, and I remember um, getting excited when I found out that the, the tech team actually is made up of volunteers, people, you know, members of the church that want to serve. And when I, when I was made aware of that, um, I was excited because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, a tech geek, by, you know, at heart. So one of the benefits of running the lights is that I get to sit in the tech booth on, on Sundays. And it's, it's really an incredible vantage point because I get it. I understand why the tech team is there and, and all of the things that we do to the songs and the music and the message and, and tying together uh, the audio and the video and the lighting to create an experience for, for, for everyone in the auditorium, knowing that you know, whatever small part we play to help create that environment, um, help to get them you know, to a point where they can accept Christ in their life, and it's just amazing. So one of the challenges of having a blended family is that you don't necessarily have your kids every single weekend. So getting our kids to church on a regular basis is challenging. And just having that church family to lean on is like for me with Fearless Mom and you know for him serving on the tech team and having Braden be interested in that and you know having the girls serve I mean it's it's something that helps bring you together. So fast forward five years later and Braden makes the decision to be baptized and it was a it was a great moment for us because you know we had decided for Braden not to be baptized as, as part of what Jill and Avery Molly and I went through um, because we felt like he was too young. And so when he came to me and said, Dad, I want to be baptized, um, was really a great moment for me. And then it was just the reverse, right? Where we were sitting in the front row, Avery, Molly, Jill, and myself, watching Braden be baptized with three of his childhood friends was just, was just an amazing moment for us. Look, having a blended family is messy. It is a struggle at times, but we are definitely in it for the long haul because we know in the end it will be worth it. And we just take it one step at a time. I love that that video ends the way that it does. Not only with you know, the great picture on the beach and the family, and it's, it's a great picture, but what they said immediately prior to that, it's messy, it's hard, we're taking one step at a time. It's about that progression. Each and every one of us is exactly there right now. We each have a next step that we can take if we want to. For some of you, it may be just coming back to church next week. And that, that's a huge, huge step that you can take. But I want to ask everybody, if you will, just to bow your heads for a moment. And I want to invite all of us to just ask this question. God, just silently, right where you are, just say, God, what's my next step 
it will probably be, probably be the first thing that you thought of. As we talk through OTAs this morning, there's a progression. And so it's not about perfection. It is about progress. Some of you here today have never taken the first step in a faith journey with Jesus. I'm just saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. If that's you and God's leading you to do that, we want to just give you the opportunity right now, just before our service ends, just to pray, just silently right where you are, just silently talk to God and just ask, just say, Jesus, I need you. I want to begin this journey this relationship with you. And so I give you my life. I will follow you from this moment forward forever. I confess my sin to you and I claim your forgiveness, Jesus. I give you every part of my life. from this moment forward. I want to ask you if you will remain with your heads bowed for just a moment. Because if that was your prayer, you need to know that the Bible says all of heaven celebrates when one person, when one person comes to repentance. All of heaven. And so it's a big deal. So I want to invite you, if that was your prayer, if you would just mark this moment by raising your hand with our heads bowed, our eyes are closed. This is, this is about you and God. Just raise your hand and hold it up for just a moment because you need to understand that this is real, that this is happening. And this moment changes everything from now on. And we want you to know that we want to be a... a a family of faith for you and with you. We want to provide that safety in numbers. And so when our service ends in just a minute or two, I want to ask you if your hand's up right now, if you would just take the connect card that's in the program today and fill it out and Mark that box that says, I committed my life to Christ today. And before you leave today, just make a brief personal connection with somebody. Maybe it's an usher wearing one of the blue Lake Hills Church shirts, or you stop at the little blue awning underneath the front porch out here by the big front door. But just that personal, brief moment is an opportunity to create a connection. And it's a connection that lasts forever. And so as a church, we believe Jesus' prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And since heaven celebrates, we say earth ought to celebrate too. And we put our hands together to tell you welcome home. Welcome home.